One of the things that may seem a normal part of life is strife, right? I mean, it seems everyone has a little strife in their life, right? That seems to be the case. Well, it is true, but the problem is that many people have allowed more and more strife into their life, and they have settled for a strife-filled life rather than seeking a strife-less life. The Bible does present principles for each and every one of us, principles for the believer, the kingdom citizen, on how to deal with, confront, and separate from strife. Here is the reality for the believer tonight. God has not called you to a life of strife. God has not called you to that life. In fact, God has called you to something else, something more. He's called you to a life of peace. He's called you to love. He's called you to a life of grace and mercy. And he's called you to walk in and seek a life of wisdom. Tonight we come to a passage of scripture where there arises some strife. Some strife, some contentiousness between Abram and Lot. And really between the servants of Abram and the servants of Lot. And tonight we'll see in the passage that we'll see how we can minimize, avoid, and separate from strife and live a, and, and a strife-less life, or at least to minimize that, again, because God has called us to peace. So let's look at this passage and see how we can live a strife-less life. If you're taking notes, I've got a few points tonight, and the first one is this. How can you live a strife-less life? Serve the Lord. Serving the Lord is the first key. Let's look at it in Genesis chapter 13. It says this. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. And Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where he, his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. If, if you want to live a strife-less life, if you want less strife in your life, the first thing you can do is to choose to serve the Lord in your life. You, you, you need to serve the Lord. You need to serve Christ. Amen. Abram here in this passage is returning with his wife. They're returning from Egypt. In the last part of chapter 12, they went down to Egypt. There was a famine in the land of Canaan that God had called them to. And then they went down to Egypt. And it almost is kind of a prelude to later when, when Joseph will be sold into slavery and go down to Egypt. And then, of course, his father will bring the whole clan down, 70 of the members of the family, down to Egypt. And then, of course, it kind of pictures that Jesus, the, the, the mother and father of Jesus, would bring him uh, to flee from the, 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 the command to slaughter uh, the innocent children there in and around Bethlehem. And he would also descend into Egypt and to be called out of Egypt. And here, Abram and Sarah return out of Egypt with Lot and, their, and the whole clan and 
it says that they're, they were very wealthy. They were very wealthy. And I alluded to this a couple of weeks ago, and I've alluded to it maybe a couple times, that Abram was, was a wealthy man. He had called, been called to serve the Lord, to believe the Lord, but he was also very successful in what he did. And he's called out of Egypt, and he's coming out of it with all of his possessions. And what does it say? That he returned to the place where he had first entered the land of Canaan. And he returned there to the place where he had worshipped the Lord and built an altar there. And remember, we talked about how when Abram was brought into the land, he came to that place called Shechem, and he built the altar there, and he worshipped the Lord, and it was, it was that first moment that God had brought him into the land of Canaan, and there he worshiped the Lord. And it kind of designates this idea that he was a worshiper of God, that he was a worshiper of the one true living God, Yahweh God. And of course, he had been brought up in the ways of the, of the Lord through his ancestor Shem. Shem, who was, was that, that uh, figure in the family that, that, uh, that, that delivered uh, the, the, the knowledge of God and taught people how to worship Yahweh God. And now uh, Abram was coming into the land of Canaan that God would, was promising to his ancestors, and he built an altar to the Lord. And that's what we need to do. Amen? That's what you need to do. You need to be a person of worship. You need to be a person of service to the Lord. And, and that means building an altar. What do you mean, Charles? Does that mean I go out in the backyard and find some wood and some brick and some, you know, fit, 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 build some type of a, an altar and make a fire on it? Well, that's what they used to do. But what we need to do, the altar kind of signifies, it's a picture for us of being a person of worship, that we need to have an altar in our lives, amen? And so the question is, do you have an altar in your life? Do you have that place? Do you have that aspect in your life where you're serving God, where you're worshiping God, where you're bringing to him a sacrifice of praise, as Hebrews tells us to do, that we're bringing him the sacrifices of repentance and all those things? Are we doing that in our lives? And if we'll do that in our lives, we'll find a lot less stress in our lives. Amen? Because we'll find that we're trusting in God and not in ourselves. There's more strife in your life when you're depending upon yourself and depending upon other people or depending upon the president or depending upon the governor or depending upon this person or that person. It's going to make everything all right for you. No, we're not called to do that. We're called to serve the Lord. We're called to trust the Lord to depend upon him. And when we'll do that and have a place of an altar in our life, wow, it's a lot less stressful. It's a lot less strifeful. Sometimes when the rivers of life seem to, you know, you seem like you're going down. Now, we have Angela, my sister-in-law here, and she lives on a river up in Virginia. And in fact, they're on the river a lot. They, 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 they canoe down the river. And for the most part, the river is pretty calm, you know, pretty, pretty calm river. And you can just kind of glide along with your canoe and whatever. But you know what? There's sometimes when that river rises and the river will just take you wherever you want to go and sometimes wherever it, it wants to go. And sometimes life can be like that. You're just kind of gliding along and sometimes the river of life gets a little bit up here and it takes you, it takes you where it takes you. And Man, that's when we really need to have that base in our lives that, that says, hey, we're a servant of God. We're serving God and we're not just at the mercy of circumstances. We're not at the mercy of what happens to us because we have an altar in our life. We're worshipers of God. 
And we need to do that. We need to be at the place in our lives where we're worshiping God. And if we veered off course, we need to get back on course and get back into that place of worship and service to the Lord. The, the first key in living a strifeless life is serving the Lord. Amen? Serving the Lord and living at the altar in our lives will lead us in the direction of being free from strife. Some of the strife that we have in our lives comes first from not serving the Lord. And when we're not serving the Lord, we're living in a life of sin. And sin is what's going to bring a lot of strife into our life. It's going to bring a lot of headache and hardship into our life. And God wants us to be worshipers of him. And worship of God brings us to holiness, the holiness of God. And holiness produces happiness and blessedness. Amen? So if we'll worship God, we'll come to holiness. And if we're holy, we're going to be happy and blessed. And we're going to have less strife in our life. So the first key, if you're taking notes, is serving the Lord. Secondly, separate from strife. Let's pick it back up in chapter 13, verse 5. It says this, Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of, of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zor. The second key, if you're taking notes tonight, first one was serve the Lord. You want to you have less strife in your life, serve the Lord and worship him. Secondly, separate from strife. The text here tells us that Lot, who was with Abram, had also become wealthy. Talked about how Abram was wealthy, but... Lot became wealthy too, and I guess that maybe there's a principle there. You know, if you hang around wealthy people, you might get wealthy too. I don't know, um, but certainly he had become wealthy, and uh, and 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 this was the thing. I mean, he had flocks and herds and tents, and basically the text is basically setting up what's happening here: is that that you got Abram and 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 his livestock and all of his clan, and then you got Lot and all of his lives livestock and his clan, and they're trying to dwell together, and there, there arose a contention, there arose strife between the herdsmen as they were trying to take care of, of, the, uh, of the, the livestock. And this is when strife usually happens. When strife happens, when people feel that their space is being infringed upon. Strife happens when people feel like their space is being infringed on and there it, it could be their physical space 
It could be their emotional space. It can be their financial space. Some, somewhere you've infringed on their space and now there's, there's a contention. Now there's strife that's happening. One of the ways you could avoid strife in your life is to not violate, violate the physical, financial, or emotional space of those around you. You don't have permission to violate the physical, emotional, or financial space of another people, another person. You need to be, we need to be respectful of one another. And, and part, a lot of strife comes in when the boundaries have been infringed upon. Amen? And we need to be careful that we're not overstepping our bounds, stepping out of bounds, stepping into someone else's bounds, because that's when the strife comes. We need to be courteous and we need to consider others. But what are we to do if there is strife? What are we to do if strife or contentiousness comes into our life? Abram said this, let there be no strife between you and me. This is what Abram said. He said, let there be no strife between you and me. You see, I believe that you have to embrace, to not embrace, rather, strife. When strife comes along, we need to, we need to think about how can we dissipate this? How can we dissolve this? How can we bring this to not quickly, as fast as we can? And it should be in our hearts, let there not be strife between you and me. This needs to be at the center of our hearts. Now, one of the reasons why we shouldn't allow strife, now strife may come into our lives, but one of the reasons why we shouldn't allow it to continue in our lives is because of one of the the things that this text says at the end of verse seven, look at it. It says that the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Why is that verse there? Here's this whole thing about Abram and Lot, and Abram's rich, and Lot's rich, and blah, da 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 And now the, the, the text, the writer of Genesis here is telling us, oh, by the way, the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. It's as if the writer and the Holy Spirit is telling us as believers, look, when strife comes into your life, be careful how you deal with it, Be careful what happens in your life because the world is watching. The world is watching the believer's life and looking at it, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, and we need to be very careful about what we do because the world is looking for a reason, a way, uh, an angle to to scoff at, to ridicule, to to, to confirm the suspicion that they have in their heart that, that the believer doesn't really... Uh, follow the Lord. The believer doesn't really serve the Lord. The believer is somehow just like me. See, look, they have a bunch of strife in my life, and I have strife in, in I have strife in my life. They have strife in their life, and and there's no difference. And so, what's the real difference? I thought this serving of Yahweh was gonna was gonna bring about this significant change. And so, we need to be very careful because the world is looking on. And the world was looking on at Abram and Lot. Abram was a man that professed to be a worshiper of Yahweh God. And if we are too, if this is true, if we're worshipers of Yahweh God, then we should have the same heart that Abram showed here. 
let there be no strife between you and me. God doesn't want us to have strife. He doesn't want us to live in strife. In fact, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, he said it this way, God has, not called, us, God has called us to peace. God has called us to peace. In other words, if he's called us to peace, he certainly hadn't called us to strife. Amen? Amen. He's called us to peace. So the question then presents itself. How do we handle strife in our life? When strife presents itself in our lives, how do we, do we handle it? The best way to handle strife is directly. The best way to handle strife is directly, really head on. We see this in the example of Abram. When you look at the situation, the strife was between Lot's servants and Abram's servants. But what does Abram do? Does he let them figure it out? Does he just leave it and all that, it'll, it'll, it'll solve itself? No, I think we can learn a lesson. He steps into the middle of it and he goes to Lot. He goes immediately to Lot and he says, let there be no strife between you and me, we are brothers. And so Abram confronts the strife directly. Now, I, I, I didn't really even wanna use that word confront because confront, the word confront, I don't even like the word confront. Anybody like the word confront? <laughs> you know, it's one of those words where like, no, I don't wanna be confronted, I don't wanna confront anybody, I wanna just leave everybody alone, you know? But the reality is that we do need to confront some things. We do need to head some things off directly because you know what? So many people live their lives in this way. You know what? It's all going to solve itself. It'll all figure it out. And things, when there's strife in our life and there's those violations that have happened, the space has been infringed, we have to step into the situation and dissolve and dissipate the strife. Because we let it go, we let it go, it just begins to just bring ruin into relationship. And I've seen it time and time again. And perhaps you have too. So look at what Abraham, Abram at the time does. He says, let there be no strife between you and me. So he handles strife directly, directly. He goes into, he goes into the... It, here was the heart of Abram. He goes into it with a heart to resolve it. Amen? He goes into it with a heart to resolve the strife. He goes to Lot directly. And we are literally taught this principle by Jesus. Matthew 18, right? If there's some type of an infringement, if our brother has sinned against us, what does Jesus say? Go to our brother. Go directly to our brother. Does he say, go to your friend? Get on the phone with your friend, go, go through the whole thing and, whatever, and really discuss it up and whatever, and then get a plan about what you need to do and then discuss it and then figure out what you want to do. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if there's some type of a contention, if your brother has sinned against you, if there's strife, go to your brother or sister. Amen. Go to the people, go to the situation, head it off directly. Why? Because this isn't a situation out there. This is a situation that's in your life. And if you don't confront the strife, if you don't edit it out directly, it will be there and it will be bothersome and it can fester and grow and become a major problem. And I've seen it happen too often. Amen. So we need to take a lesson from Abram. We need to take a lesson from Jesus. Go directly to your brother. 
The problem is that we like to talk about the problem with everyone but the person whom we need to talk to about it. We like to rally support to our side of the conflict. We want to get, you know, well, let me talk to so-and-so because they're going to see it my way and then that will make me feel better about it. And, and you know what? That may make you feel a little bit about, better about it for a little while, but it doesn't deal with the, the situation. It doesn't dissolve the strife. God help us. We need wisdom. We need the wisdom of the Lord in our lives to deal with strife. Sometimes we don't know exactly how to deal with it even directly. Okay, so you're telling me, Charles, Abram dealt with it directly, but I'm in a situation I don't know how to deal with it even directly. I don't, I don't, what, what, what do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? That's a good question. What do you want me to do, Lord? That's a good question. We need to seek the wisdom of the Lord. Amen? James 1, 5 says this, you'll see it on the screen. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You're in a situation and you need wisdom, what do you need to do? You need to ask. Ask God for wisdom because he's gonna give it to us. In fact, honestly, Christian, we need to be asking for the wisdom of God every day of our lives. We need to just make it a regular practice of our lives because we need, we need a bunch of wisdom. Don't we? I mean, we need a, I need wisdom for my life. I mean, I know I don't got it all figured out. And I know that I need to depend upon trust in the wisdom of the Lord and ask for it. One of the things where the wisdom of God comes in is not making a bigger deal out of things that in the end are not a big deal. Sometimes we can dissolve things by simply saying, hey, release the person from the situation by dissolving it because it's not a big deal. You say, what are you talking about? This is what I'm talking about. We tend to make mountains out of molehills. And the mountains that we make out of molehills turn into bigger situations. And before long, we've got a huge strifeful situation that could have been dealt with at, had it been dealt with with the meekness and the wisdom of God and turning to him and dissolving it. Now it's a mountain out of a molehill. It reminded me of a song, lyric, by an artist named Lisa Loeb. Anybody remember Lisa Loeb back in the 90s, 90s music? She wrote a song called Let's Forget About It. And in the song, she talks about moving past this thing that was blown out of proportion. And it, she sings, let's forget about it, let's forget about it. And she had this great line that I've never forgotten from the song. I mean, this song was like 20 years ago, but I still remember this song, this line from the song. And here it is. I'll stop crying on the mountain that we made when we spilt the milk. I'll stop crying on the mountain that we made when we spilt the milk. Don't create strife over molehills and spilt milk. Amen? Paul told the Romans in chapter 14, verse 19, he said, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. What's Paul saying? He's saying, you know what? Let's dissolve this. Let's move towards, let's pursue, let's move towards the things that make for peace. Peace. 
Let's have a conversation. Let's deal with it directly. But let's move towards those things that make for peace in our lives and the things which we may edify one another. And sometimes if we can do that and we can bring in and show that we want to to come in and build the other person up, maybe, just maybe, God can do something in the situation. I believe he can. Amen? Another way you can avoid strife is by ending a quarrel quickly. Anybody like to argue? Anybody like to fight? Anybody like a quarrel? Proverbs 20, verse 3, it says this. It is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Every fool is quick to quarrel, quick to get into an argument, quick to get into, let's have a big, let's have a big to-do over this. Let's just go back and forth. All this stuff going on. It's, it's an honor. It's to one's honor to avoid strife. But every fool is quick to quarrel. The better way is to never start to quarrel in the first place. Amen? Oh, wow. I just stepped on all of our toes. I just stepped on all of our toes. I didn't. The Lord did. Proverbs 17, 14 says this. You'll see it on the screen. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. What's it saying? When you start a quarrel, you don't know how far the thing is going to go. And so when you start a quarrel, a fight, you can be breaching a dam and you don't know how big of a dam that is. It could be the Hoover Dam. And you breach the Hoover Dam or one of these other dams. You might be saying to him. <laughs> so drop the matter before dispute breaks out. Amen? Hope you, hope you wouldn't be saying that. Amen? We used, to, we, we used to drive by this spot in Virginia. It was a dam, and it was called the dam site. And we'd say, look at that dam site. <laughs> right? Took the kids down there one trip to Virginia. Here's the damn site. <laughs> I'm serious. One of the things that we've lost in this time that we live in, we live in a very unique time. This time that we live in with devices and internets. And one of the things that we've lost in this time in the culture, let me speak to the young people. Okay, because we, there's a group of us here that grew up without the internet. We didn't have the internet. We couldn't just jump on Google. We had to go down to the library. We had to go and stand in front of what they called the card catalog. And the microfiche and put it under the thing and whatever. And then the, 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 we didn't know what we were doing. And hopefully a librarian came along and said, what are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for a stack of books. I'm writing a report on John F. Kennedy. But one of the things that we have in this time in this culture with the Internet is the social media. Now, social media, it's a, it's a two-edged sword. It can be a real blessing, and it can be the opposite of a blessing. And one of the things that I think has been lost 
in this age of social media and the internet is that we've lost the idea of having a filter. We used to have a filter. We used to be like, we thought about what we said and we said, you know what, maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> it might not be a good idea for me to say that, but what happens in this culture is that we all have a device and we're thinking about stuff and before we've actually thought it through, before we've actually thought about what's happening, we put something out on some social media and now it's created a stir, it's, cre it's stirred the pot and maybe it stirred something up with somebody and maybe it was even something we were trying to stir up. And we need the wisdom of the Lord. Young people, you need the wisdom of the Lord. Amen. Number one, this is true. Everything on the internet is out there. And you know, I've heard of people that have literally gotten a job and then they've, got, or they've, got, they've gotten fired for what they've said on their Facebook or they've not gotten the job because the, the, the interviewer, before the interview happened, they went on the internet and said, wow, we don't know about this guy. We don't know about this girl. We need to have wisdom. And uh, just having the wisdom of having a filter. You know, sometimes, you know, the, the Lord wants us to take every thought captive, right? What does that mean? It means like there'll be a thought that comes into our minds and we need to to look at that thought and analyze it and say, and what the rest of the verse says is make the thought obedient to Christ, right? So it could be a thought that's not of Christ and we dissipate that and move that along right on out the other end of the thing. So we, we need to do that. And we can save, we can save ourselves from a lot of, of um, you know, strife th that way. Abandon the quarrel before it gets going. What? <laughs> Abandon the quarrel before it gets going. Um, and, and, and listen, I, I, I know, I, I, I'm a, I, you know, I can argue with the best of them. But I tell you what I'm learning in life is to abandon the quarrel as fast as you can. You can take a tremendous amount of strife out of your life by just going on that principle alone. One commentator said this about Abram and how he handled the situation. Abram here shows himself to be a man of a cool spirit that had the command of his passion and knew how to turn away wrath with a soft answer. What did he do? There was a quarrel, there was, this, there was strife going on. What did he do? He went to Lot and he said, let there be no strife between you and me. We're brothers. We're brothers. Conquerors reckon it to their glory to give peace by power. And it is no less so to give peace by the meekness of wisdom. What's that saying? It's saying we give peace by taking upon ourselves the meekness that the Lord wants us to take on and the wisdom of Christ. And in doing so, we give peace to others. And hopefully that peace that we give is reciprocated. Amen? Meekness is a, is a virtue of the kingdom citizen. Remember, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Right? So here is everybody fighting over the earth. It's the meek that are going to inherit the earth. <laughs> 
What a principle. Seek the Lord. That's the next one. Seek the Lord. Let's look back. Verse 10. And Lot lifted his eyes, and he saw all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. We need to, the, the first thing we need to do is serve the Lord. Second thing we need to do is separate from strife. The third thing we can do is to seek the Lord. What, what Abram presented to him was this. Okay, look, I'm going to give you a choice. He didn't have to do this because he was the senior, right? Lot was his nephew. He didn't have to do this, but what he did in meekness and wisdom and power under control of the Holy Spirit, amen, he said to Lot, he said, look, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the, the left, I'll go to the right. So go ahead and choose where you want to go. And what does the text say? The text says that he chose the plain. He chose it, the text tells us, for its appearance of fruitfulness. He he looked at it and said it it, it was well watered, like the garden of the Lord. Verse 10, and Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord. Now, what is interesting and wild about this particular verse of Scripture is that this area, for the last few thousand years, has looked absolutely nothing like the Garden of Eden. Well, we'll get to it in chapter 19 if you stick around for this Genesis study, but we'll get to it in chapter 19 when God rains down fire. He destroys Sodom and Gomorrah because it's a very wicked place. Very wicked place, and he rains down fire and brimstone from heaven, and Of course, Lot's wife, when they were leaving Sodom, turned and looked. They were told not to look back, to keep going heading straight out of Sodom. And Lot's wife turned to to look back, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. The whole area is like a salt flat. The, the, The sea is the Dead Sea. The area is actually known not for well watered fruitfulness, but actually deadness today. So. What does this tell us? It tells us that when we look, when we lift our eyes to see something, we may not be looking with the eyes of the Lord. We may be looking with our own eyes. And that's why we need to seek the Lord. But at this time, it was lush. That it was so lush that it was compared to the garden of the Lord, the garden of Eden. He chose it for its apparent fruitfulness. And you could say... Well, that seems to be a good way to choose something, right? I mean, you look it over and it seems to be fruitful and well-watered and whatever. Seems to be a logical choice. Seems to be a way to make a decision. For the believer, we need to depend upon the Lord. Amen? We need to depend upon the Lord. It's a better way. It's a better way than lifting our eyes to see something. A better way is not lifting our eyes to see what's out there, but lifting our eyes to the Lord. Lifting our eyes to the Lord, seeking the Lord. 
Something may, may appear to be well-watered and fruitful to the eyes, but how does God see it? And is that the direction that the Lord wants us to go? Lot lifted his eyes to the plain, and we can save ourselves a lot of strife if we'll lift our lot eyes to the Lord. Because over the next few chapters, we'll see how Lot actually brought a lot of strife into his life by the decision that he made. In fact, when we get to the next chapter, we'll actually see how Lot was taken captive by these warlords. And Abram has to go and fight battles and to win him back and to basically take him out of the slavery of the situation. And it was from that battle, victory, that Abram proceeds and meets Melchizedek on the path. So... It's an amazing thing that happens. We need to seek the Lord and see what he wants us to do. We can save ourselves a lot of strife if we'll lift our eyes to the Lord. And isn't this exactly what the writer of Hebrews wrote? Hebrews 12, verse 1. You'll see it on the screen. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we need to look to Jesus. Ask God. Consult the wisdom of the counsel of his word. In the coming chapters, we'll see what happens to the very place that Lot chooses. Literally, God sends angels from heaven to escort Lot and his family out of that place. Amazing, amazing. Well, in fact, this passage tells us about the, the, it tells us about Sodom. Genesis 13, 13. We'll go ahead and throw that one up on the screen. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. One commentator wrote this about Lot's choice. And what God did about it, okay? So God had to deliver Lot. Lot chose what he chose, but God then had to deliver him out of there. And this is what one commentator wrote about God's deliverance. He said, God fired the town over his head and forced him, Lot, to the mountain for safety who chose the plain for wealth and pleasure. Wow. Look at the contrast at the way that Lot chose and Abraham did. And what Abraham did. Lot lifted his eyes to the plain. That's what the text says. Lot lifted his eyes to the plain. Look at what Abraham did. Verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram. What's the contrast? Lot lifted his eyes to the plain. What did Abram? And the Lord said to Abram. There's a big difference. It's a big difference right there. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. Forever and ever and ever I give it to your descendants. He goes on. Arise and walk in the land. Arise and walk in the land, for I give it to you. Look at this. Here's what I want to do with you. I want you to, I want you to see what I'm going to do. Look to the north, the south, the east, to the west. Arise and walk around. Walk in this land. Because I'm giving it to your descendants. And what does Abraham do? 
He settled near the terebinth trees of Mamre, near Hebron, right? And what, is it, what does the text say? Let's go back. We've got to finish up the chapter. We're almost done. <clears throat> Some of you didn't believe me when I just said that. But we're, seriously, we are almost done. Verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from, from him, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. So what did Abram do? He sought the Lord. He heard from the Lord. God delivered his promise to him. He, told, he gave him the command to arise and walk in the land, walk in the, in the width of it, in the length of it. And, and then he came down to the south. If you know the geography of Israel, Hebron is in the south. And he comes down to the terebinth trees of Mamre. Now, this place is going to be a place that is, um, a lot goes on in Hebron. Um, in fact, they, uh, the, Abram later buys a, a cave nearby where Abram and his wife are buried and Isaac and Rebekah are later buried there and, and Jacob and Leah are actually buried in this cave there. And it becomes a place that when the children of Israel are led across the river... Jordan into the land to possess it by Joshua, who was one that gave a great report, right? When Moses sent out the spies, Joshua gave a great report. There was another guy that gave a great report, and his name was Caleb. And what did Caleb say when they came in to the land? He said, give me Hebron, right? The guy was 85 years old. But he said, give me Hebron. That's what I want. And, and Caleb, 85 years old, he goes in and he takes it for the Lord. Amen? What we can do is depend upon the Lord, trust the Lord, and see what the Lord is going to do in our lives. And if we'll obey these steps and we'll look to the Lord in these areas... We can minimize strife in our life because God wants us to minimize strife. You say, how so? Because I have not called you to strife. I've called you to peace. And so don't embrace strife. Don't embrace strife any, any, in, in, in any way in your life. In fact, find a way, look to Jesus, look to the wisdom of the Lord and hear from him and discover how he might direct you to proceed to, to act in a way that would quickly dissipate and dissolve the strife so that, he, that you, your life can be separated from it. Because God wants us to be living in this time free from strife and in the peace and the love and the joy of the Holy Spirit so that we can be a ministry to the people who are living in chaos in their lives. They're living in strife. They don't have the Lord. They're the Canaanites. They're the parasites. But God can reach them. And if we'll be these people that separate from strife, God can begin to use us in a powerful way because then we're not like the Canaanites. 
We're not like the parasites. We, we handle things in a completely surprising way that we didn't invent it, but God invented it. God is an amazing, he's full of grace and truth, the Bible says of Jesus, right? And he handled himself in such a way that he was an amazement to everybody that he came into contact with. He said, who is this guy? We never heard anybody talk like this guy. We never heard, any, we never heard anybody sit, do the things he's done. What in the world? Because he was full of grace and truth. And we need to be those people. 